welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello and welcome to Vice and Easy. This week we're going to be breaking down Season 1, Episode 2, entitled Heart of Darkness. Guest star Ed O'Neill and future Mrs. James Cameron, Susie Amos. Uh, hint, there's a little bit of vice tea about that later on. Uh, so we'll get to that at the end of the episode. But let's start off with the episode entitled Heart of Darkness, originally aired September 28th, 1984. Here's the plot summary per IMDb. When Crockett and Tubbs infiltrate a Miami porn operation suspected of using underage talent, they find themselves dealing with an undercover federal agent who may have, quote unquote, gone over the line that separates cops and criminals. All right, so we actually open this episode with She's a Beauty playing by the Tubes and Susie Amos, Susie Amos, Susie Amos, uh, aka Mrs. James Cameron. More on that vice tea later. Uh, she's doing aerobics in what looks to be a completely insulated room. No windows open, nothing. Um, by the looks of it, it's not only Miami, but in my head, I'm thinking it's like the hottest day in the year, Miami. So it looks to be about 90% humidity because she is uh, working up quite a sweat. She looks great. Uh, great body, super fit, really fun outfit. And then we hear a knock on the door. And it's an air conditioner repairman, and uh, they get into a little bit of a problem when it comes to payment in this next clip. You know there's a $40 minimum on house calls. $40? Gee, I don't have that kind of money. I mean, I just got off the bus from Nebraska. I don't know, maybe you could take a personal check? Well, that depends how personal you want to make it. What do you do? And the reason I cut that clip off short, not only just talking about fair use and copyright law, uh, these porn episodes really skeeved me out. I remember also, I don't remember what season it was, there was a snuff episode or a snuff film episode. So at the age of 15, I learned what that was. These episodes just really give me the creeps. But um, some funny points. So $40 in 1984 would be $107.01 today. So that is quite a bit of money for just an uh, air conditioning repairman. However, if you live in Miami, I don't think air conditioning is a negotiable. <laughs> I think that is something you absolutely need to have in your apartment. Or maybe do aerobics. I don't even know. Is it even better to do aerobics outside when it's that humid? Um, growing up in the East Coast, I'm not dealing with Miami humidity, obviously in Toronto. But yeah, it'd be pretty gross inside or out. And then... Um, <laughs> When she said 40 bucks, geez, I don't have that kind of money. I instantly thought of that Trailer Park Boys clip where <laughs> Ricky's asking his dad for 30 bucks. I'm going to play it right now. Dad, I hate to ask you this, buddy, but can I borrow 30 bucks? What are you crazy? I don't have that kind of money. I quote that all the time. So now that we're back on set, um, it's revealed that Crockett and Tubbs are on set. Crockett looks very, very, very handsome in his lilac shirt. You can see that on the website. Susie as well. I mean, Penny McGraw. Penny McGraw is the character's name. Also looks amazing in this baby blue robe that is also similar to one Gina has. I want to say it's second or third season. I remember I also clipped that. I want So I'll definitely have that and kind of do a side-by-side comparison once we deal with that episode in the future. Um, and the director looks super sleazy. It's just everybody looks 10 out of 10. This is exactly what you would think a porn set in Miami would look like. Um, my God, that humidity though. Can't even think about it. But uh, unfortunately, Penny's not feeling too great. And uh, the director is giving her not the greatest pep talk in this next scene. Next clip. Next scene is what I named the clip. <laughs> I don't feel so great about the next scene. I mean, I don't know if I can really go through with it. What are you talking about? You're going to be sensational. Why can't you trust me, huh? Look, honey, you're just a little tired. So why don't you have a lie down for about five minutes? I'm going to relight the close up, okay? Here, I'm going to use my office, all right? Show's got to go on. 
that is the most depressing use of the show's gotta go on. The show must go on. I've ever heard. Just you see, like these episodes are just so skeevy, but we're gonna get through this because actually it's a lot of fun. We got Ed O'Neill, we got lots of we have a montage. We have a really good montage. Got lots of great outfits. It's going to be a great episode. So Crockett and Tubbs are there. They're talking to the director and they want to meet this mysterious figure named Kovitz. However, the director is not really having it. He's trying to say that if you talk to one person, you're really talking to Kovitz. And how do you say that in a super sleazeball way? This next clip. Richard, my man, listen to me. If you talk to Artie, you are talking to Kovix because it's all channels of power. It's just all channels of power. So now here's your film. Let's see. And the reason that the sound resolution changed in that last clip is because now we cut to Zito and Switek who are listening in. So there's about to be a bust. And like two seconds later, bust happens. And I got a really, really, really good shot. I'm very proud of this, of the director trying to flee <laughs> with his shirt open. And uh, so that's great. Again, you can see that on the gallery. I'm very proud of that. I was very, very, very proud of that because that was that caught my attention instantly. Um, and so actually, we're dealing with the extended credits again. We won't get to the credits we know and love, I believe, until episode six. Uh, so again, it's kind of that long play intro. Um, it's still good. It's still good. But it's not the exact one that I grew up with, aka the one that I made my ringtone for 10 years. No, eight years. It was Paul. Wow. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time. I'm no spring chicken anymore. So I digress now back to the episode. So now that I have to look this up, the part where after the credits, like the first scene. Thank you. The first real scene. First real scene. The opening song is Missing You by John Waite. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more when we get to the the ranking songs portion portion of the show but i'm not a fan of this version there are two versions there's one with just an instrumental instru- intro which is the one that i'm used to which i believe was the one that was on the vice city soundtrack and then there's this one that has missing you oh no it doesn't hit it doesn't hit the same way like i have listened to that song very 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 emotionally charged and i have cry to that song driving i have cried to that song walking i have cried to that song on the subway this song has been was a very big part of my life as like a young adult teenager so i do have a very special relationship with that song and i do apologize for the digression but yes i just don't like this version and i guess it kind of might fit in thematically which we'll talk about at the end again but Meh. Well, aside from that, what are they doing when they're playing Missing You by John Waite? So Crockett and Tubbs are being driven with the director and a driver. What's the driver's name? We don't know. We don't know anything. But again, Crockett and Tubbs are pressing to meet Kovics. And because the director also mentioned that Kovics goes through Artie, channels of power, they're also pressing to meet Artie. However, the director's not really giving them anything, giving them any leads, giving them any chances. The driver notices that they're being followed. Um, I also caught a clip of, uh, picture of this in the gallery where you can see the car behind in the rearview mirror. And so to escape the tail, or that's what they keep calling it a tail, which I like. Sloppy tail, tail. So to escape the tail, they make not really a U-turn. It's just like a very loud, <laughs> conspicuous, it's like a C-turn almost. Um, I don't know how that didn't attract more attention, but loses the tail. And then so once they get dropped off, Crockett's tubs in the director... The director tells them, hey, that driver actually was Artie. So again, Crockett and Tubbs are just kind of feeling like they're just climbing this uphill mountain that they just can't get these guys that they really need to kind of solidify their work on this case. 
and the next scene we cut back to the precinct sorry where crockett and tubbs uh, where tubbs is kind of complaining about miami and it's kind of still the like fish out of water situation and how he got lost on the dan schuler expressway <laughs> and he asks who names uh who names the freeway after a football coach and i'm like uh the south it is a whole different culture down there with regards to football and college football and that's something i kind of had to learn once i started bartending in los angeles because even college football is big here it is not as big as it is in the south it is insane in the south and it's wild i just kind of imagine what what it would have been like to go to a southern school with this like huge football atmosphere i think it would have been a ton of fun but i digress uh you know who didn't have any fun <laughs> canadian university football fans ha ha i joke i joke we do have a thing called the vanier cup uh u of t never won it when i was there so <laughs> no idea on that so while that's kind of you know cracking jokes Crockett's actually trying to get through to the Bureau. And by this, he means the Federal Bureau of Investigation, a.k.a. the FBI. So as we see in this next clip, uh, we get a little bit of news and a little bit of update while Tubbs is still kind of talking a little bit of smack. However, before I went off on this college football tangent, Penny McGraw has already been released. This is the news they got. Crockett has been repeatedly trying to call into the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And it turns out that the sloppy tail that cut their ride short with Artie was, in fact, the FBI. So there's this long running joke within the entire episode that whenever FBI agents come on, come on screen, Crockett and Tubbs will go dun 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 dum. <laughs> it's really funny. And I kind of didn't understand why at first. And then when I rewatched, I was like, oh, because they keep me- they mess up the tail, like they mess up the easiest part. And so it is, it is very funny. And I don't know why if the FBI has that reputation, because in my mind as a civilian, they don't. I think the FBI is pretty serious and I wouldn't want to mess with them. I wouldn't, you know, exactly think that they were bumbling idiots. But who am I? Maybe in 1984, things were a little bit different. And so basically the FBI wants to work with Vice to catch COVID and they kind of ask about Artie and they don't really push more than that about Artie. And then Crockett goes to Trudy, asks her to do a little bit of recon on Arthur Rollins. This is the name he gets. However, just within the span of a couple minutes, then they get some bad news. They found Penny McGraw. Homicide just called. Oh, no. So the next scene, they're at Penny McGraw's apartment. Crockett is on the phone. Uh, It's a chrome-coated rotary phone. Obviously, I took a picture of it. While you can see the paramedics carrying out her body. Uh, So they're uh, kind of doing a little bit of research, seeing what's going on, and they get the news about who and what was really funding this apartment in this next scene. Rent's paid through a holding company, Covix. Now, it could have been an OD. They found a regular pharmacy in her bathroom. Coke, Ludes, Nembutal. You really don't believe this was an accident? Maybe Kovic's figured her to roll over and sent one of his guys. You mean like Artie? Uh, wait, what? What accent is this? An accident. Accident? Okay, I know that I also have an accent, but I do not know what part of New York that accent is supposed to be from. And while Hubs cannot pronounce accident, he does look devastatingly handsome and mauve. I also posted a picture in the gallery. Trudy comes to the scene. She did a little bit of recon, and she has some news for Crockett and Tubbs. Code, federal access only, confidential. Come on, come on. Did you get anything or not? Well, I broke a few rules and punched in some government access codes. Turns out your Artie Rollins is a Fed. What? His name is Arthur Lawson, and he works undercover for the Bureau. 
back at the precinct, and now we're getting a little bit of Zito and Switek and a new character whose name is Luster. He's all about plastics. And it is funny, when I first watched this video, my notes say, Cher's dad, question mark. And I mean, Cher's dad from Clueless. And because I remembered that Cher's dad does have a part in an episode, but I forgot which one. So I cross imagine them. I guess that would be like the proper word is like I miss I misremembered them. So basically Dan Hadaya, who actually is Cher's dad, is coming up in a few episodes. But this gentleman for now uh, is not Cher's dad. Not really sure what else he's been in. I'll uh, he does pop up in a few other episodes so I can do like an IMDb deep dive on him. But but in short, Rodriguez has commissioned them or ordered them to do um, an undercover counterfeit heist. So Tubbs is giving them tips about setting up the counterfeit counter. Uh, two really great tips is to raise the actual counter and to put a centerfold or a naked lady by the camera to force the guys to look up to get their face on video. Because again, we're dealing with 1984 CCTV. It's actually a little bit more advanced than CCTV technology. It basically looks like better quality than when they film me at the Target self-checkout. Um, but actually, so Crockett and Tubbs are on the way to meet this gentleman named Claiborne, thanks to Crockett kind of finessing Zwitek. Basically, long story short, Crockett had covered for Zwitek's ass when he crashed a surveillance van. So this is kind of a favor coming back around. And just FYI, this is a long clip, but here's Crockett and Tubbs talking to Claiborne. Arthur Lawson's probably one of the best undercover agents we've got. Officially, of course, he's just another company man. How long has he been under? This time, about eight months. He's taken a lot of assignments over the past couple years. Maybe one too many. What do you mean? Well, I wouldn't even be meeting you here today, but Artie Lawson's a good man. Some people down at the Bureau just... Um, six weeks ago, Art Lawson sort of disappeared. What do you mean? Why didn't anyone bring him in? Could we? We didn't know where he was. Everything was going fine till six weeks ago. Cut himself off. He moved out of his wired apartment, abandoned his car, stopped filing reports. It was just blind luck that our agents found out you guys had connected with him. What are you trying to tell us? The Bureau doesn't like blemishes. Not to mention that a federal agent can be terribly valuable with what he knows to any criminal endeavor. What I'm saying is some people down at the Bureau think that Lawson's gone over to the other side. Tell Switek we're even. So Artie has been MIA to the FBI for about six weeks now. And when Crockett asked, why hasn't he been brought in? I really want you to remember that part. Being brought in, asked to be brought in. Just keep that in mind. That's a very interesting. It's a very important plot point that I really want to touch on later on. But guess what time it is? It's a montage time. So they're getting ready to finally meet Artie and Kovitz and go to this fancy dinner. And the song playing is Going Under by Devo. There's money clips. There's Ferrari keychains. I think there's ammo as well. You can see on the gallery. I really enjoyed this scene. And I really like that it was a great thematic song choice. We'll talk a little bit more about it later. But now let's get ready to go to dinner because the scene of this dinner is great. The venue's great, and it's, again, a lost... These don't happen anymore, these supper clubs. And when they finally meet Artie, Artie kind of explains why he had to, you know, pull that little ruse on them in this next clip. Artie Rollins. Sonny. Listen, I'm sorry about that little charade the other day. Can't be too careful. No problem. Come on, I got a booth in the back. All right. There was a lot to talk about with the visuals of the scene. Number one, <laughs> Crockett's mesh undershirt. <laughs> with my boyfriend said something like a shark skin shark tooth 
I don't know what fabric it is, but it's like a shiny blue fabric. I'll ask him. I'll, I will check. I'll fact check. And he looks so handsome, which is the reason I can get away with this because being Don Johnson and everything. But I burst out laughing when I saw him wearing this outfit. He looks amazingly handsome, though. Like, you cannot deny it. Uh, Tubbs looks better. He looks a little bit more subdued. He is dressed in gray with an opaque fabric covering his chest. Um, I guess, you know, Tubbs is no stranger to open open shirts, but uh, Crockett's mesh shirt takes the cake in this one. And then the ambience of the supper club. These are these are long gone. Like these don't really exist. There were clubs, like I mentioned earlier, like in Montreal and Toronto, there were these kind of like quasi lounge bar club setups called supper clubs, but not not in the way of this. I really actually enjoy Artie's date, not his wife's, his date's outfit, which is like a lavender. I want to say it's like a cross cross top chiffon. It's very beautiful. I just put a picture of it. I can't accurately describe it with my words, but it's a great picture. Definitely check it out in the gallery. 10 out of 10 for her. And in this next clip, I want you to tell me you're, <laughs> you're a sleazeball without telling me you're a sleazeball. <laughs> we're looking to buy volume. We're carrying cash. Jimmy told me. We'll grab a bite to eat. We'll talk business later. <laughs> Sam. <laughs> Sam. <laughs> I jumped ahead a little bit. They had not sat down. I was getting so overwhelmed with how beautiful and how amazing, how cheesy this whole scene is. So that Sam in question is Sam Kovics, who's the guy they've been looking for, who's the porn impresario. Having dinner, telling anecdotes. The anecdotes. Ugh, I hate these episodes. Basically he's saying that one of his talent or a member of his talent didn't want to go through with a scene or a role. So... Ugh, her mother gets involved. Her mother ends up actually joining the picture with her daughter. They named it a family affair and it grows $7 million. And $7 million in 1984. And again, where was this being shorn, shown? There was no internet this time. So it was just those dingy ass porn theaters that are long gone from back in the day. So that was this funny little anecdote. So while they're kind of, you know, talking and all that, someone gets Artie's attention and asks him to come outside. So Crockett and Tubbs naturally follow Artie outside um, to what transpires. And it's one of Artie's associates who ran into a little snag paying Artie on time, as we'll see in this next clip. I've got it. You mean you finally got it? Look, man, I'm sorry for the delay and all, but I've been, like, real busy. Yeah, don't worry real about busy. it. It's not your fault. Had time. Nothing's your fault, Rennie. Nothing's anybody's fault. I'm kicking the hell out of you either, right? And pull out! You're gonna kill him! Don't you ever interfere with me again! So much for the corporate sales pitch, huh? Listen, before we go back in, get your money ready for tomorrow. I want to look at it. Oh, come on. Eh, don't you want to finish your dessert? Well, if I were Crockett and Tubbs, I would not be late with that money. I guess maybe that's kind of the point Artie was trying to hammer home. And then when we cut to the next scene, we're actually at the precinct where Crockett is on the phone trying to get the authorization for this $200,000 to make this deal. This blew my mind. I'm not trying to spoil any other movies or television shows. However, I thought there was a $30,000 limit on these kind of transactions need to make these deals um, because I guess there's a there is a way that I guess you can forfeit uh, not forfeit uh, seize the money back however it's 
quite risky that it actually will go through and in order to really kind of trap someone on these charters. So the fact that they can make this deal with $200,000 of police money is blowing my mind right now. And I guess to be fair, the other examples I've seen deal with, you know, federal jurisdictions, state jurisdictions, and in this case, it's municipal. So maybe within the municipal undercover um, organized crime bureau, it's a much different set of rules and bylaws regarding Lil- this. But that, that blew my mind. I have like a page of just unlegible notes of like, what the W? <laughs> Wait, capital letters, question mark, question mark, question mark. So yes, they need $200,000 for this deal. All right. Uh, Tubbs looks really handsome in this color. He's currently wearing periwinkle. And they kind of talk about whether or not Artie has gone over. Crockett has a lot of sympathy, whereas Tubbs doesn't. And again, I will say this because Crockett is a Vietnam veteran. And we don't, I can't really remember his whole backstory. I will, obviously, as the series progresses, I didn't want to jump too far ahead. But being a Vietnam vet and then coming back, working undercover, I could see that Sonny has a lot of mental health issues that he hasn't really dealt with. And I think this is why he really sympathizes with someone who can go under because the more he talks about it, the more you can see how it's not that difficult. And if the structures and the help isn't there to help someone prevent them from going under and prevent them from succumbing to mental illness while they're going undercover. Because think about it, you're isolated from your family and friends, you're living this double life and you're in constant fear. You could just be taken down at any time. So you're so vulnerable and you don't have anyone in place to really comfort you except for the organization that is putting you in there. And how understanding do you really think they would be in 1984 to someone suffering from mental illness? So I digress. Now let's go to Crockett, Tubbs, and Rodriguez talking about whether or not Artie has gone under. When you're under Lou, it's whatever it takes. The man is on the edge and that makes it dangerous as hell. Maybe he had to go that far to make it happen. Well, maybe he decided he likes it out there. Look, what the hell are you defending this guy for, Sonny? What is this? You too? Hey, 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 man, look, I'm just asking because I know how it is when you're living the role month in and month out, because I've been where he is in deep. All right, look, if we bring him in now, the entire Kovacs investigations goes down the tubes. Now look, can you honestly tell me that Artie Lawson hasn't gone over to the other side? No. Well, then, damn it, find out. Then you'll get your money. So at this point, Crockett is the only one who's on Artie's side. And now they're going to get a little bit more of his backstory. They're actually going to go meet with his wife. And she kind of gives them a really heartbreaking account of what's happened and how she's doing and how he's changed in this next clip. Cover. Non-stop. Ever since we've been married. Never taking a break. One vacation in four years. What kind of life is that? When was the last time you heard from Artie? It'll be three weeks this Thursday. He called me from some club. What did it sound like? Different. Like, uh, he said he was confused, involved. 
He was really frustrated that the Bureau wasn't bringing him in. Wait a minute. He asked to be brought in? More than once. They'd always give him their famous, uh, we've come too far, can't blow the case now speech. Like the world would go to ruin if he backed out. Please, bring my husband back. And this is why Crockett focuses on the fact that Artie has asked to be brought in and the FBI refused to let him out of this undercover assignment. And that is a very big deal because, again, so she hadn't heard from she hasn't heard from him in three weeks and he's been gone for six weeks. So for three weeks, he has not contacted anybody. He's been completely on his own in this undercover rule. And. This is really, really, really heartbreaking to think that he is stuck. It's not like another job where like, you know, say I don't feel well, another bartender could come in and cover for me. This is an undercover operation that's been taking months and months and months of planning. And he has backstories and people have fake IDs and fake documents. This is, I'm not sympathizing with the FBI or with any organization in this case that would further allow someone's mental health to decline and deteriorate to the point that they have gone under, gone over, sorry, gone under. I guess, you know, both ways, unfortunately, he has metaphorically gone under and gone over. And yeah, this is just really heartbreaking to hear from his wife, too, that he wanted it out. And we'll see the FBI in a hot second or two. But yeah, they just really hit home with me, just knowing that he's begging to come off this assignment and he can't. So now we get some comedic relief in the form of Elvis. Elvis has been missing Crockett a little bit, speaking of working too much. So when uh, Crockett, Crockett gets a call that Elvis has, in, in essence, gone wild and kind of wreaked havoc on the pier that he's living in. Uh, so we cut to this in this next clip. Just forward that. <laughs> you ever considered trading them in on a nice French poodle? <laughs> And then for an encore, he decides to pay a courtesy call to Rolandes, you know, the, the Panamanian vice consul. <laughs> Most of the stuff you see on this pier, that's his. <laughs> you miserable, incontinent, worthless piece of sediment. You're dead. I've been away too much lately. He just does this to get attention. Oh, well, yeah, totally. I mean, uh, animals have feelings, too. Dum-da-dum-dum. <laughs> <laughs> Look over you guys. Yeah, well, now that you found us, why don't you do a quick 180 and head back to your typewriters? <laughs> I still love how salty, <laughs> how salty of the FBI. So a couple of things. Um, there is a great gif I got of Crockett pointing the gun at Elvis. Great. Love it. <laughs> and just furthermore, thinking back to the FBI, the reason that now they're so pissed off is not only that they're finding that they're not protecting Artie in his time of need, the FBI is visiting an undercover cop at his house where he has a backstory, where he has a fake identity. So again, as we would call this back in my day growing up in Toronto, baiting out one scene. So the FBI is basically putting a red flag or a target on Crockett, so to speak, with his neighbors and with anyone who's trying to find him. And um, we can talk more on that. Crockett's undercover name is still... Sonny, Sonny Burnett, as opposed to Sonny Crockett. 
and that if he was kind of like a big shot college football star named Sonny Crockett, <laughs> that people might recognize him. Now, I, I understand that they're not always dealing with domestic criminal, so to speak. They're dealing with more on an international level in most episodes. But that always made me laugh. I was like, how undercover are you <laughs> when like college football players, again, college football player in the South, much different. If he was a college football player in Canada, no one would care about him in the South. Much different story. But yes, they still have beef with the FBI. And it turns out the FBI kind of have a bone to pick with Crockett and Tubbs. And uh, we'll see what happens in this next clip. Why don't you find him yourself? We intend to. We came here to shut you down. My man, Elvis. You want to shut us down, pal? You better have a court order. Yeah, I'm on Team Crockett and Tubbs on this one. Because again, they're playing by the book. They're trying to follow the rules. They're trying to get this guy to come back from the deep end. FBI doesn't really seem to be doing as much in this case. Now, I don't know... Maybe they are really trying to protect Artie by not having another enforcement agency risking to blow his cover. Or they really are incompetent in this case. So let's see. But all right, now is the time that Crockett and Tubbs are finally going to talk to Artie one on one and get this deal to go down. However, tables seem to have turned a little bit because Artie knows exactly what's going on. High rolling cowboys from Jersey with a briefcase full of cash. Isn't that right, detectives? I used my agency priority code to do a backtrace on that phone number you gave me. Are you trying to get me killed? I'm on an investigation here! Hey, 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 are you sure about that? What is that supposed to mean? That means you haven't checked with the Bureau in over three weeks, or your wife. You move out of the apartment they set you up in, and your own people can't even find you. Artie, they think you've gone over. I don't want you or anybody else to question my methods. If I make a strategic decision to cut corners, to throw the book away. That's my decision. Because it's me out here and nobody else. Now, I got tapes, records, full documentation of prostitution, kiddie porn, extortion, at least seven murders. I can bust Kovacs whenever I want to. So what are you waiting for? Because when I haul him in, I want him to stay there. When he goes down, he's going to go down so hard he doesn't come up. I've seen things. Who killed Penny? What are you talking about? Did Kovics arrange for that too? They found her yesterday, OD'd in a swimming pool. Corner has it as homicide. I didn't know. She was just a kid? Things are getting crazy. Everything's getting turned around. Listen, man. I know what you're into. I spent the last 10 years doing it. Living, eating, breathing, getting in so deep that you don't even know which end is up. It takes its toll. Let's pop Kovix as soon as possible. Now, I do appreciate that in that conversation, Artie admits that what may look like going under to others means that he needs everything he can get in order to bust Kovix. And I have seen that in other films and movies that it's so easy to get off on a technicality or, you know, to post bail and dip, as we saw with Calderon. And the entire case is basically just gone and it just slipped through your fingers. And on a technicality or on 
something that you could have controlled. So I do sympathize with him on that. And since that 200 grand got approved as well, I guess uh, guess this deal is really going down. I still can't get over it. I still can't. I want to look this up after this episode and see what the... <laughs> it just blows my mind. Blows my mind. However, on a different note, I do have a couple pictures. Artie, a.k.a. Ed O'Neill, a.k.a. Al Bundy. Uh, but yeah, he looks great. I really like he has like a, like a little thin gold chain. So like not too sleazy, but like sleazy enough for this role. Really like it. Well, it's happening. So back at the precinct, they're kind of getting ready and uh, discussing what their plan is. Um, I forget what this is called. It's kind of like a pre-shift. Roll call is in the beginning. Roll call is like what they would start off Um with Hell Street Blues for like, you know, good morning. Here's your beat. Here's your beat. Here's your here's what you're doing this morning. So this was just kind of like a little pre-shift, little preparation for the takedown. So remember this again. Rodriguez says, I don't want anything to happen as a result of a sloppy tail. And we also see Lester hooking tubs up with Scientifor with a giant tape recorder. <laughs> as his wire. I know that now technology has come a long way, but yes, this was how it was done in 1984. And it still makes me chuckle. I even talked about this recently. What do you do for wires now? Because with cell phones, I know with my iPhone, when I'm recording with my microphone, whether I'm recording a voice memo or anytime where my microphone is active, a red dot appears on my cell phone. So I would just assume that criminals or, you know, criminal masterminds would just confiscate your cell phone if you're kind of in the middle of a deal. So I just wonder what they use for wires now. But I guess now you can just have like a tiny little mic that's just in your bow tie or in your bow tie, tie clip, you know, something very inconspicuous. But yes, in 1984, it was a giant Walkman underneath your shirt. <laughs> So now we cut to Crockett and Tubbs meeting Artie, getting to the limo, meeting Kovics and his bosses, kind of talking about the plan, about the money, when what sounds like Pat Benatar's Heartbreaker, kind of like a demo or an instrumental version, similar to the demo version of Girls Just Want to Have Fun in the pilot. It sounds like Heartbreaker, but like a little bit off, like not fully polished yet, starts playing out of Tubbs' chest. Oh, no. So now they're busted. They say that they're cops and that the cops will be there in minutes. However, Kovic sounds a little bit better and says, oh, gee, I don't see any. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't record that clip. I, I do apologize. It was a very funny clip. And I did take a picture of kind of the background. They pass by what is called Tropical Chevrolet. And I just really like the layout of it. I just really like the layout, the colors, the neon. Like it's not too bright. It's not too garish in your face, but just like a nice little like hint of Miami kind of coolness in there. And so they're going up a bridge where I believe it's a causeway where the bridge opens to allow boats to pass underneath and then closes back up. So, of course, while in this minute, while basically Crockett and Tubbs are being held hostage and they can't do anything, go anywhere, guess what's going to happen? The bridge is going to open and the limo is going to hit it, jump it before it opens. But the surveillance, the cop cars and the vans, no luck with that. So uh, they end up, guess where they end up? A port, just like everything that goes on in Miami Vice. Always ends up in a port, which makes sense. But, you know, I like it. It's dark, not a lot of surveillance. It's a good place. I guess it's a good place to do crime. Sorry, I shouldn't be giving that information, that advice out for free. But <laughs> there you go. That's my advice to you. <laughs> and now Artie's bosses are basically Kovitz and company. 
uh, kind of have crocodile tubs in a corner and they know that they're cops. They fully know that they're cops. However, they want to bestow the honor to Artie in this next clip. Hold it a second, Larry. This one's Artie's. That's what'll bring you right in the family, kid. Then it turns out, actually, Artie turns the gun on his bosses and uh, him, Crockett and Tubbs have a shootout. And the reason I don't want to play shootouts is that I tend to listen to my podcast when I'm driving and I don't want to uh, (laughs) don't want to confuse what's going on in reality with what's going on in my podcast. So just... And also, it's like a little bit jarring. And, you know, if anyone's suffering from like PTSD or sensory issues, having I just have to put like a kind of like a trigger warning on every episode. So I'm going to try to avoid gunfight clips as much as possible. Sometimes they just might not. I might just might not be able to skip them. But just an FYI, that's that's why I do it. So, you know, the the vice squad comes Crockett, Tubbs and Artie are kind of talking about what's going on. Guess who shows up and guess who Tubbs is not at all happy to see. Chill out, man. I just want to hit him just once, man. That little bozo ain't going to wire any of our people ever again. And I guess in Lister's defense, they did say he was the plastics guy and not the uh, not the sound guy. <laughs> well, I guess maybe, you know, they didn't have a sound guy at the time, so they used the plastics guy. And uh, that's what happens. Uh, when... <laughs> When your wire starts playing Heartbreaker by Pat Benatar in a limousine about to pass over a bridge. (laughs) But now that things have settled down, Crockett, Tubbs and Artie kind of talk about what's going on and what Artie was really privy to and what Artie really did in this next clip. You have a second? Yeah, go ahead. Listen, I at least want you two guys to know that I had nothing to do with killing that girl. I did some marginal stuff, but... I didn't commit murder. I guess I was out there, huh? Well, that's where guys like us are paid to work. I can handle the bureau. I can take the heat. What's going to happen with your wife? I don't know. I don't know if I can go back to my wife. That life. You know, it's like I've been riding an adrenaline high. All that money and all those women. But after a while... All the things that went before, it got like a, it's like a, I don't know. Lawson, let's go. Come on. I'll see you guys later. Thank yeah. You. Take care. Oh, this poor wife. Like, I feel bad for both of them. Obviously, I feel really, really conflicted about who I feel worse for, but I think they just both have a really shitty hand of cards at this point where she has someone that she loves and support who mentally can't come back from this. And then I have Artie who is completely unsupported by the FBI with his mental health issues. So, God, I feel bad for both of them. But uh, they celebrate, the crew celebrates, goes to a bar where 
the bartender is smoking a cigarette behind the bar. I took a picture of this. I I hit rewind like five times to get this because I was like, no way, no way, no way. Uh, This whole bar scene is great. It's only like two minutes long. You have a guy in like a kind of like a curvy white unbuttoned dress shirt i can't even describe it. you have to see it um in the gallery it is too good for words you have the smoking bartender and what i really like actually it's my probably my favorite song in the whole episode is you have masquerade by george benson playing in the background and um kind of talking more about the struggles that go with undercover work and unfortunately crocodile tubs get some bad news in this next clip uh, this is not a reflection of you, Sonny. It's it's the job. I don't see how you've been doing as long as you've been doing. Why? You gotta be a little nut. Fellas, just got a phone call from Federal Agent Russo. They've been debriefing Arthur Lawson for the past three hours. He stepped out for a breather, made a call to his wife, went into the men's room and hung himself. Oh my God, his poor wife. Poor Artie, man. Just... This episode, I do like that they touched on a topic that right now has a lot more prominence and a lot more weight to it, which is managing mental health conditions in the criminal justice system and giving support to people where there was not support before. But I knew that this episode was going to end on a sad note, but, you know, it still still hurts every time. And really feel bad for him and his wife and unfortunately there was no way to come back from where he was and he did kind of allude to that when he was talking to crockett and tubs but i don't think anybody could have foreseen that this is how it would end um and unfortunately that's the episode um doesn't end on a great note um but i do like the little comedic relief that in the credits they cut to the picture of elvis on the on the pier so i put that as well in the gallery it's like a little bit of a comedic relief after this episode However, all right, end of the episode, let's get to Viced Tea. So, as I mentioned in the beginning, uh, the opening shot was on Susie Amos. Susie Amos? I think it's Susie Amos. Uh, You'll know her from Titanic. You'll also know her as Mrs. James Cameron. Uh, So, James Cameron and her, this is all alleged. This is... I can't say... This is just just stuff I've read on the internet and stuff that, like, you know, I've read in tabloids. So... James Cameron has a habit of marrying women he meets on set, which tends to be news to the wife at home. <laughs> Put it that way. So he is been he has been married five times. Susie Amos is his last wife, and I believe they married in the year 2000. So they're going 21 years strong. So kudos to them. However, at the time when he was filming Titanic with Susie Amos, he was married to Linda Hamilton, who he directed in Terminator 2, Judgment Day and Terminator. There was a $50 million divorce payout to Linda Hamilton in 1999 when they divorced. So the gossip is, is that he had an affair with Susie Amos on set of the Titanic, allegedly, and then went back home to Linda Hamilton. And then after award season, after winning all those awards, allegedly left her for Susie Amos and had the $50 million divorce payout. It's all alleged, but that was a little vice tea that, you know, kind of popped in my mind. I don't really have any gossip on Ed O'Neill. I think Ed O'Neill just plays an asshole really well on TV, but I don't think he is one in real life. Um, I do prefer him, obviously, as Al Bundy as opposed to Jay Pritchett on Modern Family. I think he was better as Al Bundy. I do love Gloria. I love Gloria and Manny. They are, they are my favorites on Modern Family. But 
I think he's better as Al Bundy. And since Lester is not Cher's dad, I don't really have any tea. I don't even have any tea on Cher's dad. And when the episode comes in like five episodes, I'm not, I don't think I'm, I'll see if there's some tea. I'll see if there's some tea on Dan Hadaya. But he was great as Cher's dad. He's also great. I'm seeing I'm talking about someone who's not even an episode yet. Okay. I, I digress. I digress. <laughs> All right. Now let's get to music. All right. Now let's talk music. So even though it's like thematically on point because Susie Amos is super beautiful and she had a banging ass body when she was doing that aerobics routine in 95% humidity, I'm going to give She's a Beauty by the Tubes kind of like the last place. Uh, then I'm kind of torn. I Emo me, emo teenage me crying to this on the subway. Would not believe I'm going to say this, but I'm actually going to rank Missing You by John Waite third. Oh, I have more Vice tea. Oh, I totally forgot. So Nina Blackwood, one of the original MTV VJs, was dating James, um, John Waite. And he claimed, this was before the song came out, he claimed that this song was about her. And like, can you imagine? I would be very ecstatic, but also very sad if someone had written this song about me. Um, but it turns out like she kind of did a little digging and he had actually said this to a couple other girls that he had dated before he, that song came out, that this was about them. So I guess that was like his kind of like little, little like manipulation tactic. But I thought that was wild because like what a breakup song to have written about you, by the way. But yeah, it was not about Lena Blackwood, despite the rumors. But like thematically, I guess, you know, his wife is missing him and that part of him is gone. You can never get that back. But oh no, I don't like that intro. So, <laughs> so going into my Devo is going to top that one. I love it. Thematically relevant. Good montage song. Super fun. I really like Devo. I don't think they get enough respect for being as innovative as they truly were. So. I'm going to rank that one. Where's Your Head Up by Basement Jacks does sample a Devo song. And I didn't realize that until I was at work one day and a Devo song was on. I will research this and I'll get back to you. But so that was my number two. Number one, not surprisingly, is going to be Masquerade by George Benson. Very nice beat. Beautiful lyrics. Thematically relevant. Great song to bartend to while I'm smoking a cigarette behind the bar because it's 1984. That blows my mind. I'm sh that I There had to be some kind of like health law that you can't actually actively smoke while you're tending to the bar. My God. But uh, I just want to read oh, there's a little clip of the lyrics very quickly. Searching but not finding. Understanding anywhere. We're lost in a masquerade. Both afraid to say we're just too far away from being close together from the start. We tried to talk it over, but the words got in the way. We're lost inside this lonely game we play. Ooh, that is fire. That is that is great. That's that's my that's my that's my song for the episode. And with that, that is the song of the episode hands down. Now we're going to get to my fave 5. So I already mentioned it, Tropical Chevrolet. I just love it. I don't know what it is about it. It's not super bright, it's not super cheesy. Just love it. Uh, obviously, gratuitously unbuttoned shirts, as always. Uh, this is where I clipped the picture of the director. <laughs> also, Ricardo Tubbs. Uh, this is after he had the... <laughs> he got his shirt ripped open with the wire. And you'll notice that all the buttons are still there intact. He can easily button up his shirt. But it's for our benefit. He just chooses not to. Uh, car phone appreciation post. Always, always, always. Uh, I will do this a lot. I will do cell phones, Chrome phones. It's just so funny to see how far we've come and how, unfortunately, we've lost that magic of telephone design that we had back then. Crockett's mesh shirt and his blue blazer. That's also one of my fave five. And then as ended with Tropical Chevrolet. 
That is it for this episode. I want to thank you for joining me each and every Friday or whatever day you're listening. Um, Next week, we'll be talking about season one, episode three, entitled Cool Running and written by the creator 24 himself, Joel Cerno. You can check out all my fun screenshots at viceandeasypodcast.com and you can find the podcast on socials at viceandeasypodcast. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you as always for tuning in and don't forget. Miami Wise is number one new show.